than the Pope. All right, you ready to go? I am. All right. This is Proudly Resents, ProudlyResents.com. It's Adam Spiegelman. I'm here with Dan Miles. We were Skyping each other from each other's bedrooms. Place looks great. It's clean. Thanks for cleaning up. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, it does look kind of bare right now. About 10 minutes ago, there was a bunch of laundry over there where I'm pointing. <laughs> it's now, Yeah, same here. It's now moved over to my kid's room. I appreciate that. Otherwise, I, I don't know if I can keep going. Uh, we talk about, usually we talk about bad films, but also cold films. You chose a movie to proudly resent called The Big Picture from 1989, Christopher Guest. It's an unusual pick for this show, but tell me why you picked this movie. Part of it is because I, I was a little bit ignorant about what your show is, and I'm, I'm kind of kidding about that. There, There is a movie I could have picked that fits right in with your usual thing. Why start now? If I did that, I would have to go back and watch that sucker again, and I don't think I could. I really hate this one movie. I don't what think movie that, was that? Mm, I don't know if I even want to say. <laughs> you got to say it. Uh, it's a Spike Lee movie called Bamboozled. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. That's what everybody says. I can't stand that movie, man. Oh, you do? Can we talk about that for a second? Why don't... Uh, I, I can tell you why I love it, and you can tell me why you hate it. I think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Why do you love it? Yeah. Uh, I love it. Well, part... I... It isn't perfect. There are a lot of huge um, filmmaking things. But obviously, I love Network. He gives a lot of homage to that movie, Network. And he follows that format until he goes to the crazy Spike Lee third hour thing he usually does where he add in the movie it's way too long but um i'm saying why i don't like it why i do like it is uh <laughs> i just think the, the it's it's perfectly done i work in tv uh i've worked in a, in a world where he, this guy is coming from it's exploitative um you, you see that happening and, and all these kind of crazy decisions and that's actually what the big picture is about as well but uh so i think i relate to that a lot and i think until it goes off the rails at the end when it becomes like a, which Spike Lee does, he kind of, instead of going straight to the finish, he takes a left and does another lap. Uh, I think it's amazing. And I actually, just to defend it more, I saw it in the theater and I had it on VHS and DVD, or I had it on DVD a couple times. I lost it once, I bought it again. And uh, I have it on my DVR right now. It was on, even though I have HBO Go, I have it on my DVR just because I feel like I need to have it in a collection. Well, I hear you. I know other people who feel exactly the same way about it. I guess for me, you know, the Damon Wayans character just seems kind of odd. It doesn't seem to quite work. Like he doesn't quite have a handle on it to me. There are good moments in it. I'll grant you that. I guess a couple things I don't like is we say you, it pays homage to Network. Dude, I'll just go watch Network. <laughs> but uh, um, I think that um, one of the things I took away from it was that Spike Lee, who likes to be angry about things, was angry about minstrel shows. You know, where white guys put on blackface. Okay, the thing is, nobody cares about that anymore because they've been gone for 100 years. So in order to make everybody else mad like he is, he has to bring it back. And I don't think it was convincing the idea that that would become a hit show, bringing back a minstrel show. I thought it was preposterous. Oh, at the time, it was true. I mean, obviously, it's a movie, so he's exaggerating to the minstrel show. He's taking yeah. it to the worst place it could go. But yeah, of course, Um he was making fun of UPN, which was doing Homeboys in Outer Space and, yeah. you know, all these kind of shows that were equivalent to minstrel shows or as offensive as a minstrel show. I think being a movie, he took it to the place where the minstrel shows from a hundred years ago, but saying we haven't evolved from that. And, and, and I don't feel we have a lot of places. I think there's a lot of, short of putting on blackface, there's a lot of shows and uh, movies and that, that still go there. There's still 
treat that and you don't think so or you, you're looking at me like you know well you know i it's been a while since i've seen it it's probably been quite a while um and uh it might have just been i had a different expectation for it or the mood i was in that one time i just remember getting to the end of it being really angry that i'd spent my time watching it and i'm not i'm pretty chill i don't usually feel that way about movies but i got to the end of that one going I hate this movie and I usually hate a movie. So that would have been my probably resents on your normal thing. And I do want to say about the big picture, I'm not presenting it as uh, flawless. I've got uh, some things written down here that I would say are negative aspects of the movie, but overall I do like it. Yeah. But the reason I picked it is because it's a movie about making movies, you know? Right, so right. there's a lot, there's a lot to go, a lot of ways to go in there. I want to just wrap up on bamboozled. I have do to it. agree with you. Damon Wayne's choice of character is awful. It is terrible, as we say in New Jersey, awful. Um, it is. The well, it's voice also the first is thing. You see. Isn't it? Isn't it the first thing? The very it's, opening. He's scene the main character. He's about. yeah. So I was like, going, what the hell? I, I couldn't tell if, if it was a joke or. I I, I guess it, I got knocked on off balance right from the beginning and never kind of righted the ship. I yeah. I I I completely hate his voice. I don't mind his mannerisms because I'll go with that as much as I went with everything else. I was crazy with it. It's just the voice was so. Everything I could I could see happening. I know it sounds crazy, and and network too. Where it's like, could we really kill a network anchor, a guy on TV for ratings? Yeah. Well, then you watch TV, and you're like, ah, it's not far from the truth. You know, having a a network, which is such a good movie. And if anything, anyone gets anything out of the show, right? Go see Network. Um, they have an astrologer on the news to tell you the weather or whatever, and it, we're not far from that. Or we've been there. We've hit so many things in the movie Network, and I feel like from the minstrel side, we've come just this shy of putting on blackface on tv a lot in a lot of things but so to have a voice and and the mannerisms that are so phony and you know if, if he wants to pick a guy doing a white voice or or some kind of affected voice you can there's other ways to do it that's crazy outrageous but also believable right it doesn't take you out of the film mm, true you know, when I mentioned Bamboozled, I had to get two reactions. People haven't seen it because it isn't one of his better known films or they're like, you they go, oh, I love it. And I'm like, uh, I have a friend named Isaac in Portland. I told him, oh, man, I hate that movie. Bamboozled. Oh, it's my favorite movie. He says. So there you go. What do you think about the shooting? I just want to exhaust Bamboozled, maybe even split this, yeah. do that as a bonus episode or something. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, what do you think about he shot it all on video? Mm -hmm. And uh, what did you think about that? Did that take away from me? Was that? As I, as I film? said, it's been it's been years since I've seen it. It wasn't so much the film quality, and there are there are moments I enjoyed. What was the actor? He, there was a sort of a fast talking Irish actor. He's been Michael Rappaport. Yeah, Michael Rappaport. He was good in it. Yeah, yeah. He was he was really good in it. And uh, I don't know. I just maybe I was just like down on Spike Lee at the time because he's always pissed about something. I go be pissed about it. Menstrual menstrual shows really. What's next? Like the French Revolution? Come on. Man. But, <laughs> but of course, you know Woody Allen will go there. So no, it's so funny because I had no intention of talking about Bamboozle. I'm not. I'm just doing it from memory. I'm not prepared on that one. But it's you know I appreciate your comments, man. It's funny. And uh, you know there again, you know I remember things that I saw years ago that I thought were hilarious and I revisit it years later, put it on, I go, why did I ever think this was funny? You know, and it can be the reverse. You know, there's some things I didn't really like that much. Maybe you get older, you check it out and you appreciate it on a different level. So at some point, you know, bamboozled may come on and I may sit through it and go, you know, Adam's got a point. You know, I didn't think about this or that, but uh, at the time, I don't know what it was. I was just like, oh man, it just bugged me. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> In terms of the the shooting, he shot it on video, and uh, he had a real DP and a real editor, and I thought it looked really good. Except 
when they showed the TV show and they showed like the actual yeah. show, they still used the video camera, and I felt like right. at least use a TV camera or change it up. You know, it's right? funny because when you said, "What did I think of the shooting?" I thought you were talking about the shooting. Oh yeah, which is I hated too. the shooting, the actual right? gunshot. I mean, I mean, yes, in network there is a murder, so you kind of have to have it. But they again, they took that weird Spike Lee turn where the movie just went all, all over the place just to get back to that murder, and he, it it could have been there so much faster uh, and um, and better. Have you seen a uh, Better Call Saul? No, I've never seen. It. I've never. There's no. a there's an homage in the on the debut uh, episode of that show. There's an homage to Network too. Uh, he he goes into a law office and the table is huge. So he so he starts doing Ned Beatty's speech from it to mock the size of their table, and then they just look at him and he goes, "Come on, guys, network, you know, like that." Uh, <laughs> check it out, man. Again, we should see network, and also everyone wants to check out the great Irish actor Michael Rappaport. I, I agree, and I agree. All right, big time Jew. Um, let's talk about uh, the big picture, the movie you chose from uh, Christopher Guest. So yeah, so tell me about why why you chose this, and I'm I'm guessing because it's a industry, you're a music guy. Because it's kind of an insider movie. What what made you? Um, what it is is you have a show where you pick one movie and you talk about it. And I, a lot of movies I like. I don't. I could probably talk for five minutes and I'd be done. But this movie seems to be one that um, I come back to. Like it sticks in my head and I'm in the mood. You know those movies that you're in the mood sometimes to watch. It could be Casablanca. It could be The Holy Grail. You wouldn't think that this one would be. You know because. In a way, it's kind of nothing special. And you mentioned it was directed by Christopher Guest. Now, this was five years after he did Spinal Tap and seven years before he did Waiting for Guffman. And uh, it doesn't employ that so-called mockumentary style that he's known for. It's not improvised. It's scripted. He, he wrote it with Michael McKean from uh, Spinal Tap and Michael Vorhall, who uh, also wrote um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure with uh, Paul Rubens and Phil Hartman. And like I said, you know, it, it's like The Player with Tim Robbins. It's a movie about making movies you know and like overall i do like it but as i said there's some negative aspects i will point out but um you know for people who haven't seen it let me just quickly say that the star of the film is kevin bacon who plays an aspiring filmmaker named nick chapman and you watched this movie last night right so it's fresh in your head yeah yeah and i saw it when it came out i saw it on yeah. VHS okay, back in the day cool. yeah i saw it a long time ago and i brushed up on it uh, so he's a student at the nfi the national film institute which is an obvious stand-in for the afi the american film institute and in the opening scene he's at an awards dinner with his parents and his girlfriend susan who's played by emily longstreth now interestingly the film opens with a quote from frank capper about how important it is to preserve your artistic integrity and it's interesting because the film is all about the various ways that you can be seduced and corrupted into compromising your vision. Eddie Albert, presumably, is just playing himself as the host of the event. So um, tell me, Adam, what did you think of uh, the student films that, that they open the movie with? So they show about five student films, and they are absolutely perfect. They, they show each kind of person, and I would love to see more of that. And we do later on revisit these people, but the... The narcissistic guy who makes this movie where he's playing Napoleon um, or whoever he's playing it. And of course, I've gotten it wrong. And then the, the wacky art student who's wearing a bouquet of, you know, a rosebush on her head. And she's, she did this kind of Dada-esque weird film, like a Pee Wee Playhouse, actually, it looked right. like. They were all dead perfect, including the lead character. With spoiler alert, wins the contest. It's the crappiest student film. My feeling about it is you have to really love movies to, to be able to make a movie that bad that does everything wrong. 
They're like, they're, they probably sat down and had a meeting and said, what are all the things you're not supposed to do? Now, for example, the first one they show, it's a, like a, it's set, it's a set in a courtroom. It's a trial. And they've got wide shots and close-ups where different actors are playing the roles. They've got, um, you know, people speaking to each other, but they're both looking screen left. They've got, you know, Vaseline all over the lens. They've got <laughs> terrible dialogue, jerky, terrible camera movements. It's like, you know, even a student would make something that bad. They're just basically showing like, you know, everything you, that you're not supposed to do is right here. And I just love it. Also, that particular one, um, you know, that's Jason Gould, uh, his character, Carl, who ends up becoming an agent because he obviously sucks at making movies. This is a Hollywood thing. I mean, his parents are connected. So his crappy little movie has got movie stars in it. He's got Roddy McDowell. He's got Elliot Gould, who is his father in real life. But on the movie, he's got June Lockhart, you know, because his, his dad's connected. All these people uh, yeah, are in this crappy course. little movie. I, I love it. I mean, to me, when I first saw this and saw that, I was just laughing my ass off the very first time. And, you know, you mentioned... Uh, that guy, uh, his character is Jonathan Tristan Bennett, the spoiled, arrogant trust fund kid who makes a movie called Cross Sabers of Truth. It's a really pretentious war film with all this pompous narration. And they even imply that there was a real-life casualty. Someone was killed uh, during the making <laughs> I of the love that. Film. Well, yeah. He does it in such a narcissistic way. He's like, oh, this is thank you. He gives like an acceptance speech without winning. and, and likes He's it. the first one to clap for his own film. He's standing up for an ovation which nobody has given him yet. Total asshole, which is one of the archetypes. And you mentioned the Lydia character, who's one of Nick Chapman's friends, J Jennifer Jason Leigh's really weird, hipster, artsy-fartsy, high-energy style she has. Her, her movie's called Afterbirth of a Notion, you know, take on Birth of a Nation. And it's just a bunch of weirdness, you know. Um, and then his film is called First Date. It's in black and white. It's atmospheric, has a sense of heightened reality, an odd sense of humor to it. But it also has a pretentiousness to it because he's trying to, you know, he's working real hard at showing that he has talent. So out of those ones that they showed, I probably would have picked his too, you know, because, uh, you know. But um, essentially what I'm saying is he wins the competition, like you said. He's approached by a film producer named Alan Habel, played by, you know, late J.T. Walsh was in Pleasantville and Sling Blade, among other things. And that pretty much, um, you know, establishes, you know, the premise of the movie, which is, okay, Hollywood thinks you have talent and they're going to start courting you. And it's the dance and the give and take and everything. So, you know, uh, that's what I like about it. You, so often a movie about making movies can kind of flop. But the approach they took with this one, um, it's not meant to be realistic. It is a comedy now, there, there's a bunch of fantasy sequences, I'm sure you noticed. Like the first one is a Nazi checkpoint. I don't know if it's meant just to be daydreaming or if there's more to it. There's one with dancing thimbles. There's like a Fellini-esque pool party. They go into a 1940s noir style, like with Humphrey Bogart and his fast-talking dame kind of thing. You know, they're paying homage to all the genres of movies. They got like a Lost Weekend thing with a cameo by John Cleese, which is pretty cool. Uh, like a Betty Davis kind of thing, you know, like a... 30s and 40s thing. Um, so, you know, once again, it, there's a love of film in it. And I know this is a film podcast, so that's kind of one thing I think is really cool about it. Well, I think to go along with his character of just like the film student, and again, it's great that he wins, but his movie still is terrible, um, that uh, he thinks in in terms of film. So he gets to the checkpoint, and the guy's being kind of a Nazi about it, so he thinks it as a Nazi film, you know, and then he's nervous, so he hallucinates the, thumb, the thimbles, moving in the guy's office but then when he's at the big hollywood party and he has that fellini black and white vision of the pool and it goes back to reality it's the exact same vision but it's in color yeah <laughs> so i love yeah. the fact it ends the third one so he gets you 
you right. think, oh, it's going to be something normal, and then you cut to, and it's naked women and and the naked right. dude. Yeah, it's yeah, that's yeah. pretty hilarious. It is, and it's interesting that you point out that he thinks like a filmmaker. So he thinks like, I'm nervous. How would I shoot that if I was making a movie? You know, I'm whimsical. How would I shoot that if I'm making a movie? So now that you say it, you know, it does I think benefit from multiple viewings. It's the kind of one watch it once for entertainment and watch it because, like I mentioned, that in that student film. And Roddy McDowell is the judge in the close-up, but some totally different guy is the judge in the long shot. Well, midway through this movie, a car drives by, and it's not Kevin Bacon and Emily Longstreth in it. And it's not that hard to tell that it's just two doubles, you know, body doubles or whatever. I don't know if that was an additional joke that they were making or not, but I caught that. I go, oh, you know. Well, with this movie, you think it would be because it's so, like, self-aware. Because he makes fun of the guy. Our our main character is... He's a he's an asshole, right? Right from the beginning. I mean, I don't know if he's just young or like hit by Hollywood, but his journey is that he realizes that he's an asshole and and he comes out the other side as a good person. Yeah, I think you're. Right. I think he has a potential to go either way. He has these midwestern parents and this really nice girlfriend, but you know he wants to be an artist and stuff. And once he gets into that world, he kind of he's got a Porsche and, he, and he's turns and he's tempted by the temptress Terry Hatcher, and he's just like, yeah, you're right. He's a dick, you know, and and. uh it comes out of him and he regrets it later and kind of makes his amends. But that's a good point. Well, I just jotted down some of the things it covers, you know, uh, it covers being starstruck. You know, he meets that cinematographer and he gets all goofy around him. The guy's kind of like, yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah. I love that. He's a total, like couldn't care less. He's like a normal guy. Yeah. He's like, the, the all right, he's another, he's another fresh off the boat dude. who's all impressed with my credits. You know, yeah. He's the actor, even though it's the only scene he has in the movie, he plays it great. He just kind of like looks at him like, Nice to meet you. And you can tell he's thinking like, the, the second I turn and walk away, I'm never going to think about you again. Right, right. I'm going to move As it on. Covers, it covers being naive about business. It covers, you know, being pressured to compromise your standards and your artistic vision. They hit that, you know, throughout. It's always like, well, do the music here. Make the characters younger. Take it out of the snow and put it at the beach. Like, they're constantly picking at his thing to make changes. You know, and, and also, you know, the, these, the executives come in at one point and just make all these weird notes. You know, and I know that happens with movies. Like, have a scene where they're throwing clamshells. You know, like, they just wanted something in there so that executive later can go, hey, you know the clamshell throwing thing? You know, that was my idea. Yeah, I don't know why. They, do you get that in music? Like, you get, I get that in TV and, and, uh, and obviously this in film, but where they just want to get their fingers in it. Or, yeah, they, well, they have to justify their job. If they don't do anything, they don't contribute. You know, you know, you and I are both on Facebook. You know, they're always making changes, and everybody hates the changes. There's probably like forty people in a room whose job it is to like program. If they don't do something, they probably feel like they're going to lose their job. So they do a bunch of wrong stuff just to talk. That would be the analogy I would make. Um, make but also, like you think, like you just you're there to make changes. So maybe because everyone, and this is the same with I think everything creative is that everyone has different ideas and, and not all ideas is not black and white. So you and I can each have an idea and it'll be different, but it'll still get the same thing accomplished and it'll still be just as fine. So it's your job to listen to my ideas and you can change it to yours or you can just, since you're paying me, just do it my way. You know? Yeah. In my experience in bands and music is uh, there's usually when someone comes at me with an idea, you know, I can either like, I like their idea better than mine or I don't like it as much, or I don't care either way. So my feeling is they have a two out of three shot of getting their way. 
If I think it's better or I don't care either way, I make them happy. I give them their way. If I have a strong feeling about it, but I always try and be specific about why. I don't just go, no, we're not doing that. Get out of here. I say, look, you know, if we do that, you know, I try and give them some reasons. But yeah, you're right. That's right. When you're talking about something artistic, some people have commercial considerations. They go, you know, before, uh, you know, all the computer stuff, maybe you write a scene that has a thousand extras. And somebody comes in, we don't get the budget for that. Well, now, ever since Forrest Gump, you can just cut and paste people off to the Washington Mall and you can fake that kind of stuff. Game of Thrones doesn't, they do entire cities that are just computer imagery. But, you know, there was a time. So those considerations, you have the perfect example of that is a Star Trek episode, A City on the Edge of Forever. Harlan Ellison wrote this thing and then complained that they didn't shoot what he'd written. And Gene Roddenberry said, we couldn't, we don't have the budget to shoot, you know, the movie that you, the, the episode, the way you wrote it. There's just practical considerations. But you're right, someone may just say, look, we need a country song in this country bar scene. And somebody says, well, let's do this one. And somebody says, let's do this one. And somebody says, well, you know, my neighbor's cousin has a country band and they have their own, you know, mercenary reasons. And, and as far as the movie goes, it just needs something twangy in that spot. It doesn't care if it's Dwight Yoakam or Johnny Paycheck or some music that nobody, artist nobody's ever heard of. You're right, it doesn't matter. But there are certain things where, you know, if Rocky doesn't have that particular, you know, Eye of the Tiger, you know, maybe it isn't Rocky, you know. Um, but yeah, just, you know, quickly also, I mentioned those things, being starstruck, naive about business. You know, uh, this thing about having to work on crappy, low-budget projects to get into unions, you know, about, like you mentioned, becoming fully yourself and treating your friends poorly, uh, dealing with opportunistic people who just want to use you to further their own careers. Um, and then this character, Todd, who's the brown-nosing, ass-kissing yes-man. You know, we all know that guy. You know, he's just sitting there waiting to, the, Alan Hable will say something and Todd, you're right. You know, it's just the total yes-man. And the people are, uh, you know, trying to impress you with their name-dropping you know, and, and the washed-ups and the has-beens. You know, the, the guy, I used to be a director, but now I manage this property. Hey, do you know who used to live here? What would you think about that scene? That was, was so L.A. It was so perfect. First of all, exactly. yes, the his, this guy showing, the, the super showing him a, a crappy apartment now that he has to move into now that he's not a big-time director. Um, yeah, he used to be a film director. He did shitty films. And uh, and then he's, <laughs> he's showing off about who used to live there. It's so L.A. It's so perfect. And it's even if it's funny, too, because if he's lying, he was smart because he doesn't lie too big. You know, the, the guys, um, yeah. Chuck Barris is the guy who used to live there. If he had right. said, you know, uh, John Barrymore, of course, we wouldn't buy it. But Chuck Barris is good enough to be impressed and weird enough to and bad enough to be believable. Well, well, Kevin Bacon's first two guesses are Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe. So the guy goes, no, yes, Chuck Barris, and he has this blank look. He goes, "The Gong Show guy." He says, "Like, make rolls his eyes because, you know, a certain generation ain't gonna know him." So, um, yeah, exactly. I thought that, like you say, so L.A. A lot of this movie is so L.A. Um, but uh, and there's also this thing about getting a deal and then having it pulled out from under you. Uh-huh. You know, because yeah, when he's at, when he's strutting around and he's got his sunglasses and his rented Porsche and he's looking for a place, he believes he has a deal. Then boom. Now, what's so interesting, um, and you know, he's burn, burning bridges. And what's so interesting is, and I don't know if you know this aspect of the big picture, which is another reason I want to mention it, which is probably another reason why a lot of people don't know this movie or haven't seen it, even though it has a lot of big name people in it. Um, this is one of those art imitating life, imitating art situations. What happened is this movie itself experienced what happens in the movie, which is that it was greenlit by a guy named David Putnam from Columbia Pictures who thought it was really cool. And then like about two weeks into production, the same thing happened to him that happened to Alan Hable in the movie. He leaves, a new regime comes in, 
they hate the movie because they think they're being made fun of and satirized and they give it a limited release and it disappears into video. You know, it, it doesn't get promotion. And it's just kind of mind blowing that you're making a movie about that and it happens to your movie. I, that was uh, people should kind of know about, I thought. Well, that makes sense. Like what happened to this film? Well, exactly. Watch the film and you'll see what happened to it. Um, but you know what I, you know, I said at the outset? That, you know, I like the movie. I, don't, I wouldn't say I love the movie. I like it. There are some negative things. Let me run down what I think are the negative things about this movie and see if you agree with them. Um, first of all, I kind of question the casting of Kevin Bacon in the main role. Um, most of the supporting roles, I think, were well cast. But um, I think I would have rather seen more of an unknown play that part. You know, he was 31 years old when he did this. And the character seems like it should be more like 21 years old. This is maybe like the male version of Emily Longstreth. What else have you seen her in? A few things. Kevin Bacon made like 15 movies at this point, including like Footloose and stuff. You know, so now all of a sudden he's going to be this guy who doesn't know anything about movies. Um, I thought that was a little bit of a drawback. Do you think it's, it's like life imitating art where... They started with a 21-year-old unknown, and they're like, well, what? Can we get somebody else like bigger? Like, Kevin Bacon, he's in every movie. We should get him. And then it's like, all right, you're 31, but you're supposed to play a film student. We'll make it happen. It, do it doesn't ruin the movie. I just think it's not his... And his performance isn't bad. I don't think it's a strength. You know, I think that if they would have put in somebody I'd never seen before, the way that this movie is and the way that character is supposed to be new to all this, I just personally think it, it would have worked better to have someone who's just looking around like... You know, we don't know the guy either. And so like, oh, Kevin Bacon. I don't know. I would consider that. Um, another criticism of the is the is in terms of tone. Um, there's two examples of that. You know, Martin Short, uh, his performance is like just completely out of step with the rest of the film. It's like he's in an STV, SCTV sketch. It's way over the top. You know, and in fairness to him, he hasn't seen the other stuff that was shot. So it's more of a director issue. But when he appears, he's like, all of a sudden, we're, it's... It's not real. Yeah. We mentioned fantasy sequence and stuff. It kind of takes you out of it when a guy's like... He's like playing a different style of comedy to such an extreme. He's kind of funny in it, but it's kind of like, you know... For example, the Alan Hable guy... Well, actually, I take that back because my other tone issue. In the, later scenes with, in the later scenes with him where he's like sort of like almost like Satan. He's looking in the camera all evil and he's got fire behind him. It doesn't even make sense. I don't understand what's going on there either. So there's a few tone issues where I think uh, that could be pulled back. And you know, the other thing I was going to say, and other people have commented on this who don't like the movie, is that in terms of the music, there's this one particular theme that plays when he's driving in his car. I don't know if it bugged you or not. There's this really goofy little piece of music that keeps coming up again and again like an earworm. I think it is associated when he's driving his weird little car. It's probably a theme for the car. That's probably uh, the interesting thing is the the composer for this film is David Nickturn, and his musical credits are all over the place. He wrote a hit song in the seventies called "Midnight at the Oasis." He's done a bunch of soap opera, like a daytime drama, but he he did a lot of music for "As the World Turns," "One Life to Live," stuff like that. He won Emmys for it, and he did some episodes of The Wire for HBO. So like the dude is like all over the place. Uh, a lot of the music in the big picture is, is it's fine for what it is adequate with that nick and there, nick and there, nick and like it's a weird kind of little thing. It keeps cropping up. It was some people say like I almost turned this movie off because I hated that little piece of music so much. So you know, Did those you are some notices the music guy sorry, interrupt, but uh a bad comedy will have this mu music. It's kind of like that. But even more extreme, where it's like, bing, 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 bing. You know, they do that in reality shows whenever, like, the fat guy comes out and falls down or, you know, the dumb character says mm -hmm. something stupid. Um, 
they do that in, in a lot of like comedies you see on HBO on Saturday afternoon, you know, in the 90s. Uh, it's it's like the movie's so bad they figure if we put this dink 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 music it'll make it funnier. So seeing that a place this movie didn't need it, but it's weird that they chose that as the car's theme. That's a good point. It is weird. Also, you know, um, there's a scene where he's fantasizing. He's on his way to see Terry Hatcher, and he's like has this, you know, fantasy. And it's not supposed to be like you know the um, it's supposed to be modern and hip and cool. But from today's perspective, it is so eighties. I mean, <laughs> the the the, uh, the electronic drums. And the um, the guitar playing on it, it's, it's just like it's you're, it's it was not meant to be a joke, and now it has become a joke. Um, I was laughing at her gigantic teased hair, you know. Right, right. She's trying to look was, good. In 1989, this was like the this is like ooh, you know, he's he's going after. But now I was like, going, oh man, could this be more 80s? So that was kind of funny. You know, there's a scene I wanted to bring up because we've talked about this other film before. He goes to the movies because he's so depressed, and he sees the movie Tess. And it's a double bill with um, Hardly Working, which we've talked about, the Jerry Lewis movie, which we talked about on the show a couple weeks ago. I know. I heard that episode. I'm glad you caught that. I was was going, oh, man, how serendipitous is this? He walks up, and I see the movie poster, Jerry Lewis, Hardly Working. I go, like, three episodes ago of Probably Resents, and it's, like, in this movie. And when I picked this movie for it, I had no idea of that connection. Um, There was a deleted scene. Um, uh, You you mentioned that uh, the pretentious guy. Um, it isn't in the movie, but it's on the DVD. He, uh, on his decline, um, Kevin Bacon's character, he becomes a telemarketer or a messenger, all these different jobs. They didn't show it, but apparently he became a waiter. And um, he's waiting tables, and that guy shows up in the restaurant. And he, and he doesn't want him to know he's waiting tables, but he can't avoid it. So what he ends up doing is he goes into a whole Jerry Lewis bit. And he spills food on the guy, and he has the body motions and the accent, and oh, you know, going on, that whole bit. I guess they decided to cut it out. There's another deleted scene. It was like a Shane parody, a Western. Um, and so I, I, when I saw that, I go, oh, man, I, I, I was waiting to see if you caught that. I mean, I didn't see how you couldn't. But, you know, it would have made even more sense with the deleted scene included. But, yeah, the movie poster, as soon as I saw it, I go, that can't be, man. <laughs> well, it makes more sense if he's doing Jerry Lewis for them to show that movie. You know, poster. That's why it was in there. That, that was why they, yeah, that's why it was planted in there. And then there was no payoff for it because they deleted the scene. But well, yeah, the, I'm not, the, the wacky artist girl was at going to see uh, Hardly Working and he's going to see Tess. That was right. perfect. She yeah, was perfect. Little, you yeah. know, that kind of movie stereotype of the uh, magical pixie woman. Have you heard that before? It's kind of like the new girl, the where it's like she, uh, Garden State, worst example of that. Um, a woman in Garden State is just kind of goofy and the guy's aloof and he doesn't do anything and she comes out. Uh, Jennifer Anderson played it with uh, the movie she did with Ben Stiller. Where do they, they do all the, the approaching and they're all wacky and crazy and kooky and, and gorgeous and, and then that's how the love affair starts. So it's funny that, that I thought they were going to fall in love in this movie but luckily it didn't go that far. But she was yeah, perfect in that. They're platonic friends. And, you know, she was another one like all the others, like the the pretentious guy. He ended up with a bit of a career just on his, you know, sheer, you know, chutzpah, you know, his guts. He just forced his way into the industry. Um, the other guy became an agent and uh, he sort of plays a role. She didn't really. She just fizzled up. Nobody dug her vibe or whatever. And she, you know, there's a, a little bit where she connects him, his comeback. And his, in the end, is he ends up directing a uh, music video. And the funny thing is, if you listen to that song, The Whites of Their Eyes by the Pez people, it's like Spinal Tap Light. You know, remember that song? It's like Christopher Guest and Mike McKean are singing it. It sounds like uh, it sounds like Spinal Tap if they had, you know, electric guitars, not acoustic, but instead of like the dirty, 
distorted guitar is a little bit more of an 80s sound. It's like Spinal Tap. But the connection to Spinal Tap is Mike McKean being in it. Um, that song and uh, Fran Drescher plays Alan Hable's wife. And of course, she was in the Spinal Tap. So, um, and yeah, there are other things. I, I made a note of some of the memorable quotes, uh, you know, because when uh, in, he doesn't um, become a waiter in the movie, but you do see him trying to get a job as a waiter and being told there's a six week waiting list. I love it when the guy tells him, oh, you're I see you're a director. He's like reading his resume. He goes, Jimmy, our busboy is a director. It's hilarious perfect i remember my my father moved out to la uh a long time ago and he, he was out here and he was in uh professional ho- housing the oakwoods where everyone goes and he says i was at the pool in the oakwoods and uh you never believe it i met a guy who wrote a screenplay i was like yeah dad, you're in hollywood now you throw a rock you'll meet a guy who wrote a screenplay who does it's more it's harder to find someone who doesn't have you know there's in in uh in la there's people who make movies and for every one of them, there's like, you know, 99% of the people who talk about making a movie or want to make a movie. Or, like I said, people are that are there, people that are on the way up, people that are on the way down. That's what I like about the, this movie. It seems like they thought it out and they wanted to hit on, you know, all the things we've talked about. Different genres, different scenarios, different things that can happen. And, uh, you know, I, I think they did it pretty well. It wasn't done perfectly and it's kind of of its time. But I never really find myself going, you know, I think I want to watch The Player tonight. You know what I mean? But the big picture, I kind of do. I, I think it's because it does have so much, so much stuff going on. Like I said, all of a sudden you see Roddy McDowell or John Cleese or Richard Belzer. So uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about this movie? You, uh... Well, yeah, you know, there's something that I hadn't really thought about until today, actually. You know, the title of the movie is The Big Picture. It has a double meaning, you know. It, the one meaning is his goal throughout the whole thing, Kevin Bacon, is to get his movie made, The Big Picture, and also, it's about when you're dealing with the entertainment business, you have to be able to see beyond yourself and take in the big picture, you know, the other meaning of the phrase. So, you know, as much as I've thought about this movie, see this movie, it never dawned on my feeble little brain that, you know, that the title was kind of summarizing all that, you know. And the ending is perfect. He makes his Pez People movie, uh, music videos, a bit of a spoiler. And the, then Brown, the Brown Noser uh, sees the video tells his boss about the video and then there's a bidding war for him because he's not available because he's yeah, just not fi- by a phone the final thing they satirize is buzz you know he all of a sudden is generating buzz because somebody notices that he's made this video which isn't anything great it's just you know and then all of a sudden it's like oh dick chapman i think his name is nick chapman i've seen all of his videos you know like, all these people are bsing each other <laughs> That's like a great part. Really, yeah, they say, like, oh man, yeah, I heard he's a genius. I you know, like all this, and and what happens is because he's trying to reconnect with his girl who he's treated so badly, they just take. You know, I guess um, the technology was such that people had car phones but not cell phones on them, so they just went out, you know, into the desert or into the hills or something to just sort of chill. And he's not returning any calls, and everybody is there's all this buzz around him now. That's just to- that this hype machine, which is totally not even really justified. Which does happen, you know. People, be, you know, in this this day of the uh, of YouTube and you know viral videos and you know people are nothing. Then boom, they're auto tune the news and millions of people know them, and then they're kind of gone again, you know. Um, yeah, what ends up happening is he ends up being able to make the movie he originally wanted to make exactly how he wanted to make it because he gets ends up with some clout um, and he's able to do it. But honestly. I think his movie's kind of boring and stupid. <laughs> the movie he wanted to make. Terrible movie. That's another exactly. great part of it. He yeah, redeems so, himself. He becomes a good guy to his girlfriend, a good guy to his best friend. But the movie still is terrible and could yeah. use 
beaches, yeah. um, women, you know, something. All the advice he was given was probably good advice. It probably would have improved his movie. So this is what I'm saying. He said, why did I pick this movie? It's like, you know, I could have talked to you about Young Frankenstein or Citizen Kane or some of these other things or Bamboozled, you know. Maybe uh, I'll have to go watch that thing again and we'll have to reconnect on that. But um, this one's just, yeah, there's there's a bit of meat on the bone in my opinion. You know, I know usually it's you guys kind of you know, trash the bad movies and that, you know, I'm, I'm capable of doing that. But, um, you know, I was kind of like uh, – well, I, I honestly kind of wanted to hear what you had to say about this movie. And uh, it looks like you noticed some of the things I did and you know some things I didn't notice and maybe, you know, vice versa. So, you know, this probably isn't a typical Proudly Resents, but I'm, I'm glad we did it. I had fun. I hope you did too. I love it. I'm glad you suggested it. I was honestly worried because it was like usually there's 50 goofs you can make fun of. And this is like, I don't know I'm going to say to Dan. It's just a good movie. But there's a lot of – and you showed a lot of great – parts of it so i appreciate that and if you want to watch it you have to uh you rent it on streaming so you can go to our website proudlyresents.com slash the big picture and uh or slash dan and you can rent it from us um i get a nickel or so or just do it uh, go to youtube and pay for it if you can find a way to steal it good for you you did it on netflix uh you got the uh disc sent to you that's right. Netflix has the disc, but they're not streaming it. And, you know, like I said, this this movie just got no support. And then, of course, Trifford Guest went off and did his his different genre. A lot of people come to this movie and they're disappointed because they think since he directed it, it's going to be a bunch a of people improvise about Hollywood. But yeah, yeah, it's not what they expect. And you know that, that's not fair because you have to take it, you know, for what it is, not what you want it to be. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, if it's, it's not Spinal Tap Part 2, so it's going to fail in that regard. But I think it has enough stuff going for it that if you've never seen it at all, I recommend watching it, even though we've kind of given a lot away. There's some things we didn't. Um, and if you have seen it, but not lately, you know, take into account what Adam and I said and maybe go watch it again and enjoy it uh, on a different level. But uh, yeah, I think it's just kind of one of those unique kind of oddball kind of movies. And uh you know, I'm glad you uh, see some of the pros and cons of the same ones that I do because, you know, it's it's not something I want to watch 10 times a week. But, yeah, every few years I kind of think, oh, yeah, let's check that movie out again. Uh, we'll be right back. Comedy. Drama. Horror. Sci-fi. Killer mattresses. Hercanos. Bears in noodle shops. Unnecessary sequels. Hasselhoff. Men torpedoes. Hear about all this and more on Green Light, Red Light, where all of your Hollywood dreams come to die. Only on the Everyone's Got a Thing podcast network. Everyone's Got a Thing.com. Man torpedoes. Great. So this is Proudly Resents. And of course, you can go to at Proudly Resents on Twitter. Reach me at reachadam at mac.com or proudpod at gmail.com. Go to uh, on Facebook. We have a Facebook group uh, for proudly resents we talk about mostly movies so we post stuff about movies you can post stuff if you've made a movie uh and you want to promote it please post it on the facebook site if you have a podcast about movies go somewhere else but if you have a movie please go there and i love to promote it <laughs> and we are back dan let's talk about your podcast friends of dan music podcast uh, you've been doing it for five years am i right you just said your yeah. fifth anniversary just did, yeah. May 2010 is when I put up the first one, and May 2015 I put up a five-year anniversary special. And what do you like about doing the show? What have you gotten out of the five years for yourself? 
Oh man, the chance to speak to the people I've spoken with, I would have never dreamed I would have been had a chance to talk to some of these people. I mean, um, you know, some of the biggest names are probably Keith Emerson, Don Felder from the Eagles, Robin Trower, people like that. Just to sort of mention uh, some film-related people, I interviewed Lyle Workman, who scores a lot of the Judd Apatow films. He did The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Get Him to the Greek, Superbad, and we spoke about all those. He also did the movie Win-Win with Paul Giamatti. So we spoke about those scores. Um, so we're talking about Christopher Guest right now. I interviewed C.J. Vanston, who scores Christopher Guest movies. He did Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, Mighty Wind, For Your Consideration. And he also produced Toto and Steve Lukather and stuff like that. Um, and then for TV fans, I've interviewed Dave Porter, who did the music for Breaking Bad, and Alf Clausen, who did uh, Moonlighting and, of course, The Simpsons. Um, and then a, a lot of other people that aren't necessarily doing film and television, but and for people who may not know, did did you uh, create the uh, yeah the alliance that we're all members of? The Independent Podcast Alliance, which is a group yeah. on Facebook. So if you do like you and I, we do our podcast from our bedroom. We don't have a studio or anything, so it's a group of people that get together and answer questions and help promote each other, share tips and everything. I'll tell you something, ma'am. You know, I'm so used to this niche radio, to this specialized stuff that we do that I don't listen to radio anymore. In the last few days, I've been in the car and it's amazing. I just did this tonight um, on my way home. He hit AM or FM and just fly through the stations. Over 50% of what you hear is always advertisements. You know, ad, 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 ad. And then the other thing you hear is a really watered down, yelling at you, kind of lowest common denominator kind of discussions. And I go, man... Radio sucks, man. Did it always suck? I don't know. But podcasts are so much better, man. I have a million friends who are podcasters, you know, good ones. And, uh, you know, I've been, I appreciate being on your show and I've been on a few other shows. And of course, I've done a ton of my own. And um, I, that's where it's at, man, as far as I'm concerned, where you do do the content you like and uh, get that direct access. The, the anniversary show was interesting because I had this idea to just ask listeners if they wanted to send in a little audio clip to say their name, where they listen from, and maybe a favorite episode, right? I got clips from Greece, Australia, Canada, London, um, uh, a couple countries. I'm Germany, you know, and, and East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, the South. I go, this is awesome because even if you have a, a you know, kick-ass radio station, old school radio station, it's it's regional, it's local. Right. And like, yeah, yeah. like for you, if you like your show... If you like music or musicians, you can just Google it or whatever, and then you'll find your show, and then you can go back and look at 50 or, in your case, 300 or something mm -hmm. uh, interviews of different types of uh, exactly what you want to hear, long form, no mm -hmm. commercials, no... Uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. As you know, I have something else in the works, which we can't talk about now, we'll talk about later, which is going to be the opposite of my show, which is going to be under a half an hour, weekly, general interest you know, I alluded to, you know, privately about it. And uh, when that thing becomes live, you know, we'll uh, we'll uh, revisit it. But I'm not going to um, say what it is. Uh, you and Spike Lee are doing a show together. Sorry. That's I was going to hold up. Um, yeah. No, I think it's uh, you have a great co-host and a great idea for show. And uh, as soon as you're ready to go, let me know and I'll let everyone know. And if you email me privately, maybe uh, I'll tell people. Um, no, but also, you know, it's funny. You say you go through AM radio. I used to always love when you go to AM radio, the ads were always for like uh, boner pills, hair replacement, you know, weight loss, you know, like all these things for like the fat, bald guy who can't get it up, who's listening to talk radio. And then you listen to podcasting, the ads are like granola, 
um, trunk club where they'll send you hipster clothing so you don't have to find where to buy it. Tech stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the latest device. It's like, hey, hey, people who are living in the moment and getting the most out of life, here's what we have to sell you. Like, it's all good. I mean, one thing that's cool about podcasting is because people like uh, Mark Marin and Adam Carolla and Alec Baldwin have been successful at it. Uh, people don't question what they are anymore. There was a period of time when people were kind of like, there was this question, what's a podcast? You don't hear that anymore. Everybody knows what they are now. Uh, well, Marin definitely. I mean, he interviews the president and then everybody jumps on and the president does something crazy and they say on his podcast as if you know what a podcast is. You know, Fox News is saying on the Mark Marin podcast. Yeah, no, it's cool, man. The podcasting's here to stay. It's only going to grow. And you and I are actually, you know, the pioneers is too strong a term, but we were in more or less I'll at the, take it. We were in more or less at the ground floor, you know. So we're going to be established with a track record, and uh, you know, the Johnny Come Latelys. That's great. I'm sure they'll bring something new to it. But the interesting thing about podcasting is, you know, there's a little bit of tech you have to know about the feed and and everything to to get it up, and that's just enough to intimidate a lot of people out of not doing it. You yeah, know? right. Or they can hire um, us if you're looking for yeah. someone to put your thing online. Call me or Dan. We'll that's the only way to make money in podcasting is to teach other people how to do it i swear to god i came to that conclusion i was like well how am i going to make money at this i'm not going to get advertising and then i'm listening to cliff ravenscraft who does the um the podcasting answer man and the only way i can do it is if i train people and do a podcast about podcasting um yeah no cliff is the king of that you know clear, clearly i know who he is i've listened to what he's done and you know but yeah there's room for all that you know the other thing about podcasting is a lot of people come in there's no gatekeeper, so you can put a terrible show out there. Um, by terrible, I mean either really poor sound quality or you know sort of three drunken friends who find themselves just so charming, but nobody listens, thinks they're that charming. And those those, those shows die out because nobody listens to them, or they listen to it once and never come back, or the guys just lose interest in doing it. Yeah, they do seven episodes, or you know right. what I like about your show, and 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 then what I try to do with this show is you have so many interviews that. Now I discover your show. I mean, I was listening to a couple before, before, but if someone's listening to this and they discover your show, they can find one or two episodes that they like. Whether they go back and listen to all 88 or they just listen to three that you did two years ago. That's right. The people who want to go back and listen to every single one, I, I've met a few people like that. It's cool that they do that, the completists. Um, but more people than not, they either just listen to the one that has the person they want to hear and listen to anything else. Or they, they listen to a few of them that interest them, which I understand. You know, it's a little bit difficult to go. For, for example, for the anniversary show, to refresh my memory, I was going to go back and listen to all of them. I didn't think it would be that big a deal. And I was like going, oh, man, this is going to take a while. Especially your um, show. Yeah, yeah because I do, I do. You know, it's funny, though, because um, that's the, the running time, you would think, would be a liability. It's actually an asset of the show because I remember one of my listeners said Greg Lake was on somebody else's show. And they're so used to this, these in-depth discussions I have that Greg Lake was on the show for, you know, 25 minutes and the guy was like, oh, man, I wish he was on Dan's show because I would have got all this extra content. But, you know, it, it depends on the guest because uh, I probably shouldn't name check individuals, but there's one particular guy I, re I spoke with his press people and they go, well, unless you're this, you know, you can't get him for more than 20 minutes unless you're this particular, you know, level of national, you know, so I was like, yeah, fine, that's no problem. But I understand why, Sometimes why they they're cool and they'll do it longer anyway. I had on a, uh, a guy from Mr. Science Theater uh, 3000 and they were like, you know, you get him for 20 minutes and he get on and he did. And I was like, okay. And I know enough from doing this, from working in TV that you just do what you want. And then you ask for apologies later. You know, you apologize later. Yeah, right. And, um, <laughs> So I just kept going and he just kept going and he was having fun. And then when it was time to leave, you know, 
he, he ended it. But if he wanted to end it earlier, he would have, and I would have left. That's pretty much, who's, who's your favorite person you've ever talked to? Well, um, I don't think I've had any duds. You know, um, I, one of the one that stands out to me in my mind was when I interviewed Susan Cowsill. Um, you know, be, only because she has such an interesting story. You know, she, uh, she was a star from like the age of eight or nine, you know, in the councils back in the sixties, she was on the Ed Sullivan show and stuff. And then, you know, her, her life is interesting. Um, you know, good and bad. I mean, she was, uh, all involved in the New Orleans flood, you know, Katrina. So she had that tragedy. She's had some tragedies with her brothers or one of her brothers died, drowned in that. Um, so there was that, but she's just so honest about everything and, you know, interesting and funny and great musician. That that one is uh, is one of my better ones, I think. Um, uh, Dan, how do people find your show, and how do they find you? Well, um, friends of Dan Music dot com is my website. Um, of course, my show's on iTunes. I have a, a Facebook presence. Uh, just find my group, Friends of Dan Music Podcast. Right. So go through Dan's um, list of great shows and interviews, and do the same with ours. Don't be a jerk. We do a lot of interviews and a lot of movie reviews. One thing I want to mention is I did do a clip show. Um, after my, my uh, volume started to get up, I have an episode called Stellar Stories. Um, I just took like some of the best stories that different guests had told me, like 10, 12, and also included a couple of uh, exclusives, things that I had cut out of the original interviews. So for people who had heard everything, there would be something there for them. Uh, that's not a bad starting point because it hits on, it gives you a feel of the conversations. There's not a lot of music in it, but there is a lot of talk. But some of the people I've talked to are big name enough that people will recognize, you know. And one of the uh, things people like about my show is they know the work that people have done, but they don't necessarily know them per se. You know, like I get Lee Sklar on there um, or Bruce Geich, these different people, and they they go, I don't know who that is. Then they hear their resume and they go, I know that song. I know he played on that. He play, he was on this. He played on that. There's that discovery process that's cool. Um, you know, people like Steely Dan. I've had two current members and several past members of Steely Dan. And I have people like Rusty Anderson who plays lead guitar in Paul McCartney's band and John Harrington and Steely Dan. When they come on my show, I talk about their solo work. They are in a high-profile gig. Everybody knows them from, but they don't know that they have these really cool solo albums. So that is an appeal for them to talk to me. And then, it, you know, so yeah, I've, I kind of found my niche. And then with this other project that's upcoming, I'll explore a different side of myself. And, you know, we'll sync that up with you one way or another. We'll come on your show or you can come on our show or vice versa or both. And uh, There's yeah. some great movies attached to your new show that I'd love to talk to you about. I think we could, I think we can make that happen. Also, we talked about an Independent Podcast Alliance. If you can't find it on Facebook, email me and I'll, I'll send you there and you can join. And it really is a helpful. There's over a thousand people on it and uh, it's a great way to meet other people. Yeah, it's a cool resource. I, I appreciate you uh, taking the initiative to start that up. Good. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. All right, cool. I'll talk to you soon, Dan. Thanks for doing this. Take care, Adam. Thanks I'll for having me care. on. Finish your laundry. Thanks for listening to Proudly Resents. Make a comment or suggest a film at reachadam at mac.com or on our comment line. You ready? Get a pencil. <laughs> I'll wait. Okay, got one? Okay. 646-481-5476. Keep it clean and short. We might air it. Join us on Facebook or be old school and go to our website. 
proudlyresents.com. If you like the show, put the episode up on your Twitter, Facebook, stumble upon, dig, you know, all those things. Tell a friend, I'm Eddie Pepitone, and my Twitter account is at Eddie Pepitone.